What's good guys, Ross Potter here and this is the RP Coaching Podcast where we'll talk about training, nutrition, mindset and everything in between. Created with you in mind, this podcast aims to educate and help you to tick those boxes daily. If you do enjoy the content, show me a little love, subscribe and share. Enjoy the episode. So welcome back guys to another episode and today marks the start of a new mini series on the RP Coaching Podcast and today I'm welcoming Aaron Clark, um, family man and mental health muscle creator. Um, So Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you Ross, thanks for having me mate, great to be here, looking forward to this one for sure. So Aaron is someone who actually I knew very little about um, we've spoken in the past briefly, but it wasn't until um, a few months back that we kind of linked and our paths crossed. Um, now, Aaron, I'm going to sum him up in a nutshell. Obviously, Aaron, you work in community management with vulnerable and hard to reach individuals and families. Um, yep. You obviously have experienced a lot over your your time in, let's say, the mental health circle, dealing with drugs, alcohol, homelessness. Um, young offenders and in some some respects I can relate to that having been in the police force for eight eight and a half years so I have dealt with similar sort of things so that's another reason why I feel bringing Aaron onto the podcast is going to be a beneficial thing especially for you guys the listeners um, so you can kind of get the best of both worlds now uh, Aaron how long ago did you create mental health muscle Right, okay, so um, Mental Health Muscle was born in January 2018. Um, So for a few months, there was a a little bit of talk about basically just bringing some lads together in the gym to talk about how we're feeling. Um, And within a few weeks of that conversation starting, uh, it turned into a full-blown 150 people turning up to an event. And then from there... I guess mental health muscle just just continued to grow much, much quicker than I ever imagined it to. I had no expectations on it, really. Um, and, and that's how it came about, mate. So January was when really it turned it from an idea into something. Yeah, January 2018. And am I right in saying, obviously, it was brought together. I remember having a brief discussion with you um, by two passions, mental health and fitness, uh, to create, I guess, in your ideology, a movement designed to bring like-minded people together to promote uh, positive mental health and, and also, I think most importantly, for providing support. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. And it was um, national. So we, we, we started, we didn't really have a starting point, honest, honestly, Ross. It was just more of a, uh, let's see where we can go with this. Let's see what we can do with it. Um, and like I say, within six months, we were national, uh, reaching out to people all over the country, um, and as far as America, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, which was amazing. It was really catching fire um, online, um, and I think it was relative for a hell of a lot of people. So, um, so yeah, it was just to bring people together that, that used exercise and had used the gym particularly um, as a way of working on their mental health, regardless of whether they were diagnosed or not, just that relevance and that shared understanding of what exercise can do for our mental health, really. I know it's, it's funny because obviously we, we are on the podcast now, but it, we had a, a brief encounter. Um, I remember a few, it would have been a few years back now um, when I tried to 
establish a podcast back then. And I wanted to, I think it was Ryan saying that we wanted to team up and get something going. Um, and that would have been in the very early stages. Now, my mental health at the time wasn't great. And for one reason or another, obviously, these things didn't go ahead. Um, so it's, it's uh, a, a real sort of, I guess, special moment that we are then brought together again um, to, to achieve what I couldn't do before. So obviously, just briefly, you've, you've struggled with your own mental health, as have I, over the years. Um, and obviously, it looks like it was more prevalent in adolescence with anxiety, um, some suicide bereavement. And one big thing that you've stayed true to is the gym and sport. And you said that was a sanctuary to escape a difficult time. Um, just for the, the kind of the guys and the fans listening, maybe let's just expand that a little bit. Give them a little bit of information about that and how you kind of came through it to become let's yeah, no problem. the face of, of mental health. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, when I was younger, uh, so teenage times at school, um, I, I think I understood that something wasn't quite right in regards to the way I reacted to things and my behaviours around difficult situations and challenges sometimes, um, and circumstantial stuff and situational um, events that might happen off the, off the spur of the moment. Um, and I, I understood that something wasn't quite right, but it, it never really struck my mind that there was ever an issue in per so. It was just that you know, I had to deal with it and that's how life was. Um, nobody really spoke about how they felt, really. Um, I had a few friends that were quite emotional and quite soft, you know, but we never really spoke about mental health. I didn't really even know what the term mental health meant back then, I suppose. Um, and I guess when I was 14, 15, um, my school year, lost, lost, um, lost a lad to suicide. Um, and although he wasn't... Um, the best of friends. He, he was a good friend of mine and um, something that we all struggle to, to deal with, I think. But very quickly overnight, it almost became like, that's it, done now, disappeared, let's move on. And, and it was never spoken about, it was never really discussed apart from with the close family outside of the school circle. Sure. Um, and, and that was that. Um, and so I guess from my teenage years moving forward, I was the more I matured and the more I worked within mental health and with vulnerable people and really understood what what, what struggles people went through mentally, I started to then identify those own traits in myself and started to realize that, okay, maybe, maybe I have an anxiety disorder. Maybe I have something going on here. Um, I don't think it needs a diagnosis. I'm still not diagnosed today, but for sure I have an issue. And, and um, it's something that I, I've learned to live with as opposed to live um, fighting it all the time. You know, I've accepted it. I, I manage it. I control it as best as I can. Um, and, and, it's, and it's forever there in my day-to-day -day routine. And so, um, that coupled with the career that I've had and the people that I've worked with, um, it's just, it's just become very real, I suppose. And it's now a topic that we can discuss quite openly. And I do day to day with people who are also going through those struggles and actually most of the time worse struggles than myself, you know? Of course, of course. And I think one of the, one of the big things is having suffered it myself, maybe not to the extent that, that we hear about these days of, of suicide and all that sort of thing. Um, I've been through it, the depression, the anxiety, you know, the, the sickness, the crying, the, the emotional state. And I feel now as we, as we move on, as we progress, the men mental health is the big talking point. And I think what you're saying there, and, and I completely agree 100%, is it wasn't a talking point back then. I mean, even when I was in school, there, was no, there wasn't really anything 
you know, there, there was no such thing as mental health. It wasn't on the agenda. Whereas I think if we look at kids nowadays, they're growing up in a society um, where it's at the forefront of, of most things daily. Um, yeah. So if, if we look at how we can use you on this episode and, and, and draw some information out of you, when it comes down to mental health, um, there seems to be a big thing at the moment um, with people missing routines and losing their gym life and you know, everything's kind of up in the air, what with corona, lockdown and quarantine. So when we when we talk about a routine, what um, do you what would you say the importance of having a routine is when we relate that to mental health? It's incredibly important, Ross. And I think it's one that goes very easily and very quickly, um, um, you know, not thought about. It's one that we, we take for granted a lot is that routine. And I think routine provides us with so many things. It provides us with a sense of belonging provides us with a sense of identity, provides us with a sense of purpose. And when we lose that routine and that structure in our lives that we've been so very used to for um, uh, you know, an elongated period of time or a long period of time, um, it, gives us, it gives us that structure and it gives us that, um, that definition to our life and, and what we do each day and how we do it and why we do it. And when that's removed from our, from our structure, it, it's really, really difficult to, um, to adapt to it. Now, some people do adapt to it much better than others, and there's been good evidence of that in the last few months where people have managed to adapt and, um, and kind of do what they can and use the best that they can. Um, but, it, but it's difficult all the same, and, and there's, no, there's no going about it in any easier way. You have to adapt, and you have to try and um, take the good from the bad and, and really try and create a new structure. And if, and if possible, and I've talked about this quite a lot, try and keep as much of that previous structure in place as, as, as was before in this new way of working, this new way of living. Um, and I think that's really key, you know, um, we, we are able to adapt as human beings, whether or not we like to believe it or not. You know, we all have that innate ability to adapt and be flexible. We might not practice it as much as others, but, but it is there. Um, and we can, and we should utilize it as best as we can to, to keep that structure in place. Because like I say, structure is, is so important. And, um, and I think for a lot of people, it's been a real, real damaging thing having lost that, that gym uh, element to their structure. You know, um, I know for me, the first, the first few days of lockdown, knowing that the gyms were shut and they wouldn't be open for the foreseeable future, that was a real, that was a real dent in my. I, mean, I think that was more my belonging and my identity. You know, it really, really hit me because I realised and recognised quite quickly that there was no other place that I could do what I did in the gym. Um, <laughs> but with adaptation and with flexible, I've, I've, ch- I've done my best, you know, as, as most people have. Yeah, but that's yeah, that gym. That, yeah, that's all we can do. And I think when, when this started, I mean, you were in the same position as, as 99% of other people, including myself. Obviously, I have a studio and, a, and I pride myself on training six, seven times a week. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said a sense of belonging. Um, you know, obviously, you've done many, many podcasts and I've had different um, audiences as well. But one thing that is true is the gym is a sense of belonging for our sanity, our mental health, our welfare. And I think there was, a, like you've said, a mass kind of almost that loss of something which now is the gym. Um, and I think as time's gone on, obviously, we're in, I don't, know, even, I don't even know what day it is, let alone what week it is of lockdown. But... Things are feeling more normal. Um, 
they're not you know like you said before what is normal we we don't know what normal is but things are starting to feel a little more normal in respect to we can still do our cardio we can still go for a walk we can still do a home workout and i think the big thing here is people have stopped comparing their home session to their gym session i think that's what most people are doing at the start was saying yeah, well yeah why, why am i not why am I not feeling my chest or why am I not absolutely dripping wet like I am in the gym? And I think that's the big, the big problem is people are comparing their, let's say, everyday routine to, I guess, a, a free-for-all. I'll just train at this time. I'll get up at nine o'clock. I'll, yeah. you know, they're, they're, there's no structure. So bringing it back to the point of the, the, the sort of importance of routine, what would you say that, the relationship is between a poor mindset and diet and training. How can we link a poor mindset to, to diet and training? If we're looking at that in terms of kind of trying to make progression as a, as, as a newbie or someone who's into the gym. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think for me that when, when we came into lockdown, I think there was all the things that were very normal and very, um, uh, common in, in someone's structure and someone's day-to-day -day routine. Um, I think the best thing that needed to be done was to start a fresh clean slate, because like you say, as soon as you start to try and just transfer what you had into something else, you're always comparing and you're always trying to um, make the best out of what you knew you could do with what you have right now. So starting a fresh slate for me was important. And, and in regards to that mindset and food, um, I, I had to do that. So I had to start again, really. I, I, I wiped the slate clean with food. Um, and in doing that, the first few weeks, I suffered for it, actually. Um, so my food, my mindset wasn't great because I knew the gym had gone and I was having to restructure my, my kind of being and my thinking and my emotions and my relationship with things. Um, and that, that, that was taking a lot of energy out of me. Like I said you two before, my anxiety was probably the worst it's been in that first 10 days or so. Um, and so my eating suffered massively. So that poor mindset that I had in those few weeks, I was really unable to focus, concentrate, commit to anything really for any longer than the day. Um, so my food, uh, my relationship with food was pretty poor, mate, if I'm honest. Um, and, and I needed a week or two to build up that mindset again and transfer from that fixed into growth again and really see the promise and the positivity that I could get out of this new situation with a clean slate. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, when, when we're talking about food, it's very easy for a lot of people, particularly those that have struggled with that poor relationship with food for many years, it's very easy to find comfort in food. And I think because of the uncertainty and because of the, the um, impact that lockdown had on people and the removal of all of those identities and those belongings and those social circles that people were so very used to, when all that's gone, Food, I think for a lot of people, was the only go-to comfort, really. And um, I, I felt myself slipping into that net and into that catchment. You know, um, I wouldn't eat much during the day. And in the nighttime, I'd just slip into those really poor eating habits. Um, and so for me, mindset was totally, totally responsible, really, for, for my eating and my diet in those first few weeks of lockdown. I've since been able to combat it and and trying to transform. I'm still not eating great, but I'm certainly not eating as bad as I was in those yeah. first few weeks. And I, I think it is, I think it really is a vicious cycle because, you know, if we look at the, the mental health side of things, we get caught in 
um, you know, in neurolinguistic programming terms, NLP, we get caught in a negative loop, the negative cycle, and we start to believe that we are bad and we're doing bad things. And in actual fact, you know, when you think you're consistent for, let's say, 350 days of the year, you know, two to three weeks in the grand scheme of a, of a lifespan of a gym is, is so, so minimal. And actually, the body composition, whilst it can change, yeah, you know, we can gain a little bit of fat, we can gain a little bit of water, but in the grand scheme of things, it's so, so minimal. But then the mental health and the, the, the impacts on the mindset, we just completely crumble. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in the same boat. And I started it, you know, I went into lockdown. I was probably the best I've ever looked. I was 240 pounds. I was full. I felt great. Um, as, as Lucy would say, um, my, other, my other half large and in charge. Um, I felt great. And to try and go from feeling probably the best I've ever felt to then having all of my, you know, I was eating five and a half thousand calories to then going, well, I can't get to the supermarket and I can't buy 12 packs of eggs and I can't yeah. to be, to be limited. It's, it's, it had the same effect and it like yourself, it took me three, four weeks of backwards and forwards with my coach. And I'm saying, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know whether I should be doing a cut, whether I should be trying to maintain size, should I be trying to get bigger? So in the end, like you found, I know following your Instagram and having regular conversations, obviously you found running and you've kind of looked at things a little differently. Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of done a mini cut. I've dropped my food right down. I've been very strict again, just to try and get myself into that routine. Um, yeah. And again, it just comes back to the importance of having a routine for people listening who might be thinking, well, that's all very well about having a routine. How do, how do we set up? What would, what advice would you give to someone who's listening to this, who goes, you know what, actually it is time I set up a routine. Aaron, how the hell do I do it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I think really, and honestly, and, and digging right down, there, there is no textbook really, Ross. I think it just depends on uh, your individuality, uh, what you do, how you want to do things, how, what your values are, and what time and what um, commitment you can give to certain things. But just on a, just on a very simple, generic you know, information sheet, I, I think for me, the first thing is keeping your, keeping your eating regular and and good and you know good strong nutrient foods um with lots of water so keeping lots of water all of those things are such simple matters that in normal day-to-day -day life we take for granted and when they disappear or when they change it can have such a detrimental impact upon our well-being and how we think and feel about ourselves um so food is a big thing so get that breakfast in get that lunch in get that dinner time in, get those snacks in where you would ordinarily pre and post workout snacks. If you're not training, don't matter. Still get a snack in plenty of water, plenty of cleansing of that mind because water hydration is so important for our clarity of mind and how we think and what we do. So that's really important. So food is a big one. The next one for me is, is our hygiene. And, and I know that might sound a bit, why is he mentioning hygiene? But it's so, so important. You know, that cleaning teeth, that making sure we shower, making sure we brush our hair. If we have any, most boys at the moment seem to have COVID haircuts, but you know, <laughs> brush your hair, clean your teeth, keep yourself kempt. Like if you've got a beard, sort your beard out. Like don't let it just go wacky and homeless, you know, like really look after yourself. Make sure that you, you do shower, you do bath. 
Um, and you do all those things that you would do in normal because this isn't a holiday. I think too many people, when they first started lockdown, thought, great. Well, as, as far as I know and as far as I can see ahead, I'm on holiday now. I've been furloughed or I'm not working. I'm on holiday. So I'm just not going to get changed in the day. I'm going to stay in my pajamas all day. I'm going to eat crap all day. And I'm not going to clean or wash myself because who cares? Nobody's looking. But actually, those things aren't for anybody else. They're for you. And they keep that sense of pride and that sense of identity that I spoke about before. It all, all comes back to your first question, Ross, really. Kind of that routine and, and, and what that routine gives us in regards to identity and belonging. So that's another important one. Um, keeping, keeping things within that routine that can kind of um, keep your cognitive functioning going. So constantly learning, you know, that productivity. I'm not saying that people have to create new businesses and make millions of pounds in lockdown. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is productivity can come in all sorts of ways. That can be reading a new book, doing an online course. That can be playing a musical instrument. That can be going for walks. That can be um, spending time with your family. All, all them things are productive, productive, and they can be done, you know. Um, so that's a good way to keep your routine in place. Um, I mean, there are so many things, mate. I think for me, it would, it would come down to the conversation that I had with the individual um, and, and kind of what their routine was like previously and how much of that really and realistically can still be implemented in this new way of life now. And I think for a lot of people, because lockdowns come in, they go, oh, I can't do any of that now. That was, that was my life before. What do I do now? When actually if they really sat down and analysed it and thought about it, 85, 90% of their routine from before could probably still be done right now yeah it leads me on to my next point i think one big thing you just covered there is we can wipe the slate clean and what a lot of people have realized from this lockdown is how they've kind of undervalued certain aspects of their life whether it be family time whether it be sitting down to eat a solid meal whether it be yeah. focus on drinking four liters of water and and a lot of i think a lot of people have realized now they were kind of almost living a blur and they had like no um what's the word i'm looking for no clear vision of what they were kind of doing it for it was just yeah a routine's great but i think there's there's the ultimate extreme of being so caught up in a routine that you don't actually know day to day what's going on you kind of think oh shit where's the last week gone like what even happened yeah. that week so I think I would say from my point of view that if you were to sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and write down your old values, what you valued a lot previously before lockdown, I guarantee it would be money, job, new car, um, starting a family, something like that. And I think now if you were to write down the same five uh, visions or your what you deemed to be important in your life i think a lot of it now would be health family you know having a roof over your head all these things that we just take for granted like you've just said and like you've just highlighted really really well that now i think a lot of the perspective has changed so when it comes to creating a routine i don't think it's going to be acceptable to go back to yeah i want to work endless hours and I want to stay looking at a computer and I don't want to drink my water, but I want to make a great salary. There's a lot more to it. There's spending yeah. time outside. There's going for an hour exercise on my lunch break. There's trying to do a home workout via zoom because all these classes are going on. There's 101, like you've just said, possibilities. And I don't think we can necessarily pinpoint 
what makes a good routine because again it is so personal but it leads me on to a question which i want to ask you as as a kind of the mental health guru people that i've taken on over the years have started a new routine with the best intentions they've got in touch i've done all their meal plan their training and after five six seven days they seem to drop they seem to drop off the wagon without sending that ross something's not working can we talk about it, it they just just drop off the face of the earth and it's something that i'm looking into and i'm kind of doing a little bit of research on but i want to get your take on it so why, why do you think or why is it that people crack after a very very short period on a on a new plan and that doesn't just have to be gym related or a new training plan just just in general i mean is it excuses or from the mental health side do you think there is something deeper yeah i think i think it's a really good question and i think it's one that we can forever keep answering um i think for me it's probably a combination of the two mate if i'm honest um i think there has to be one part of it that we look at which which involves how much does that person want to change how much how much desire and commitment has that person had when they first took out that program or they first clicked on that button to sign up with you where where was their desire levels where was their commitment where was their i want to do this no matter what where was that where was that at the time um, where was their mental state before they started that program? So it's all well and good wanting to do a, a program and, and dedicate to something, a bit of a commitment, a bit more of a disciplined approach to life, um, like you say, regardless of whether it's fitness or not, but something different, a bit of a challenge. Where was their mental state before that? Because actually, if their mental state wasn't stable and they didn't have the framework in place to be able to deal with new stimulus and to deal with new challenge and new um, structure and new information, there was no way that they were ever going to get past the first week, which in your case, as you've described, the first five, six days, and they just disappear. So that's about right, you know. Um, so that would be one thing. On the other side of the scale, um, change is difficult and challenge is difficult. And, ch and um, change is something that if you're struggling with a mental health um, issue or you have a mental illness even, um, change is something that you will always be very afraid of. And because change means so much more than just doing something different. It means changing the way you think about things. It means changing how you approach things. It means changing perhaps your values or the things that you believe in to adapt to a new way of being or doing. Um, so that, that would be the thing for me. So I, I, I would imagine, probably not in all the cases, but in, in a lot of those cases, mate, it's the change. And it's, and it's recognizing how hard they've worked probably for that first week and realize that right now I'm not in a place to be able to do this for another 12 weeks. I've done this for the last five weeks, five days. I feel like shit right now. I feel terrible, but I know it's good for me, but I feel terrible and I'm not going to keep doing this to myself because I know I'm just going to keep feeling terrible. But actually what people don't do then is go, let's give it another week. And actually when I've done this probably for more than a week or so, yeah, it might become the norm and I might get adapted to this and I might become quite understanding of why I'm doing this and, and feel much better about it. But a week is a long time to, to keep doing a change and keep doing a commitment where you haven't done that before. And I think probably as I've experienced in my past with online coaching um, is, is a similar to yours, mate. I, I think it's probably that one. I think it's the, the fact that people just 
um, can't keep doing what they've done and, and they see that and it, and it scares them and then that's it. Drop it yeah, off the earth. Of course. And I think, I think the, the, that come, again, that comes down to the importance of a coach. And it's one thing I pride myself on is making sure that every single one of my clients is looked after, is coached, is wrapped up in cotton wool to ensure that we get past the barriers. Um, and again, this is probably something we can discuss in another episode and, and the importance of having a supportive coach rather than kind of just hiring the personal trainer for a quick 40 quid leg session. Um, so a point that I want to touch on, I've got a few different questions, but one thing that kind of lit a spark in my mind was the why and, and the kind of why people want to do it and, and potentially the reason for the drop off. Now, the question I want to ask you is social media has obviously had a, a massive, um, just for you guys listening, Aaron's just started laughing and I'm laughing as well because this is probably a topic that we could discuss for weeks and weeks and weeks. So we will try and keep this slightly brief, but a question I want to ask is social media obviously has developed and the usage of social media is probably increased tenfold since lockdown has begun now the social influencer the ripped guy the beautiful bikini girl who live in their living room and have the best interior home design and a little cute dog um, that we all fall in love with we sign up to their plans let's just expand on that do you believe that social media is a a benefit or let's say a hindrance it'd be great to get your take on it yeah okay so i i see both sides of the scale with that um so i'll go with the benefit i think social media is one of the most powerful tools that we can be given there's no doubt about that um social media has uh, given us an opportunity to be able to network like never before it's been given us a, um, a platform to promote what we do promote our businesses promote our lifestyles promote our content and i think that's great um, and people have, you know, made really good friendships online and, 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 and work connections and partnerships and all that amazing stuff. And I do believe that in a world without social media, it would be a very, very different place now. Probably not for the better in all, in all accounts, because in order to adapt to the new times, we need, to, we, need to, we need something like social media to allow us to do that. However, social media also um, I describe as the toxic mirror. And it's, and it's kind of become a very, um, very difficult place for a lot of people to to be engaged with, um, but saying that they still continue to engage with it. Why? Because their pulls are real. Um, there's, a, there's a real pull to social media. There's a game theory addiction to social media. Um, we get so overwhelmed and um, absorbed into everyone else's lives and forget about our own. Um, we always want things that we we don't have. We always want to be able to do things that we can't. Um, and, and, and that there's that whole toxic cycle. Um, for me, it's not so much social media, the platform that is the issue, it's the service users. And like you've rightly said there before, you know, so many people, particularly those with blue ticks, not all with blue ticks, but I'm just using that as a generic term, the blue tickers, the influencers that actually do little influencing, um, the ones with the little dogs, the ones with the nice houses, the ones that wake up in the morning with roses scattered all over their sheets, you know, they are the people that um, unfortunately are attracting masses and masses of other vulnerable people, particularly young people. And I say that because young people are way more easily influenced and 
uh, magnetized than, than adults because they are in a very much learning development stage still. Um, and there's no, there's no coincidence that we have some of the worst mental health issues that we've ever seen in young people because of the damage that social media does. Um, and so we have to be very careful of that, Ross, for sure. You know, social media is a great place, but equally, if it's not used right and it's abused, it can become a really damaging place as well. Yeah, and I think that's probably worth a whole episode about with some, with some pinpointed specific topics, just because I feel it's yeah. so, so relevant. Um, and especially in the fitness world, because back in my day, back when I started personal training, I think the only online coach was, I, well, I don't even know. There wasn't even, there wasn't anything to do with online coaching. If you wanted to get fit, you went to a gym, you hired a trainer and I'm not ancient by any means, you know, I'm only 29 and I, you know, you're not sat there with a gray beard and a walking stick either. So it just shows how quickly this thing is, is sweeping through. Um, yeah. And I genuinely believe whilst it's been great for, for the fitness industry in terms of helping small business brands to develop and, and expose, um, you know, even for yourself, you know, mental health muscle helping to develop. I don't think oh. you'd be where you are without social media. Um, on the flip side of the coin, the real danger is like you've said, the people who are online coaches who have never done a qualification who never followed a diet plan that yet I, I saw a brilliant quote the other day someone who has uh sucked a dick on love island um and is oh, now a, a boohoo model and um a, an online coach and i'm thinking like this is crazy like this is the society that this is the road that we're going down and obviously you more than anyone can probably appreciate just how scary the world is going to be in 20 30 years time um, so whilst we're kind of on like a negative vibe, what I don't want to do is bring it all back in fluffy, fluffy clouds and things. Cause I do feel this is quite, quite relevant family and loved ones. When it comes to starting a plan, one thing I hear, and you know, even today I trained someone today and I'd given them a new plan. It's, Oh, my partner is shouting at me. They can't stand it. I'm doing this. And they've said, I'm addicted to X, Y, Z what what kind of impact can family and loved ones have on the well-being of someone who genuinely is trying to do this to better themselves to expand their knowledge and also develop their physique yeah it's 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 one i think that i speak about quite often and for me it's i i i just there's, there's this huge element of fear, mate. And I think for me, family members who don't understand why someone um, either goes to the gym or wants to compete or wants to take on a plan, it's, it's not the fact that they actually don't want that person to do it. It's because it's frightening and, it, and it's fear and it's unknown. And very, very, you know, very little people show much interest in the unknown. And, and, that, and that for me is a big thing. Um, you know, I, I come from a family of... That, you know, I'm not talking my immediate family, my wife and daughter. I'm talking my mum and dad and my brother. No, none of them care about the gym. None of them get it. I grew up with my mum telling me that protein was a was an anabolic steroid. You know, like I grew up being told that my veins were were popping through my skin, and because I was going to the gym, you know, I was surrounded by that, and it was all banter most of the time, but um, but it was there, and um, 
and I had to grow up with that kind of lack of support. I, I don't mean support in a kind of, you know, they've always supported me. I've been very lucky in my life, but I, I, I mean with the gym particularly, it was never really supported. It was just something that I did. They accepted it. That was it. There was no encouragement really. And there was a real lack of understanding of why I did it. And actually 10 years, 12 years later, you know, I truly understand now why I do the gym and, and that is because of my mental well-being and I, and I know that when it's gone um, the, the damages that it has on my mental well-being and so um, there is a, there is that lack of education and that whack, lack of awareness for sure from family members um, I think it's very rare I, I, I very rarely see families that are incredibly supportive of um, someone doing something like that and I don't know why that is um, but like I say, I think a big thing for me is this is this fear, is this unknown. It's something that they don't have a lot of interest in. And I know myself, and you probably the same, if someone starts to talk to me about flowers or gardening, I very quickly lose interest. And I don't so much enthusiasm because it's not that I don't care about what they're doing. It's more that I just don't care about it. And I don't have any interest in it. So I don't show much support for it. I don't show much enthusiasm for it. So I guess that's kind of where it comes from, um, I would say. Yeah, I think education's big. I think that is probably, if we could cram that into a nutshell. And I also think one big thing that I'm a great believer of is whilst education, yes, I think because health is so important to us, even if you say you're not worried about your health and stuff and people smoke and all that sort of thing, there is an underlying human characteristic in human nature to survive. Everybody wants to survive. So it was a big thing for me. You know, I, I remember sitting down and I had the conversation with my family and my parents and I said, look, I'm going to compete. And it was like, I was being attacked by like hundreds of crows. And why are you doing this? Why are you following a stupid meal plan? When are you going to eat normally? Honestly, it was, and I'm in a similar boat to you. There was no support. And I, I don't mean like you've just said, like, I have been one of the most fortunate people. I cannot, cannot thank my parents enough. Yeah. But when it came to that topic of wanting to step on stage in a pair of pants covered in tan to flaunt, flounce around like Arnold Schwarzenegger, there's no understanding. And I've said this in a previous podcast. I just think it's a generation thing. My parents, your parents, everybody's parents generally was brought up to make money to survive and to have a family to to have a family and to raise yeah. your kids to do the best for your kids and i think that's that's still ingrained that's their traditions and traditions have obviously changed but there's been a a, a block somewhere that hasn't kind of followed through um yeah it's true so yeah it's just an interesting point that i wanted to raise because it seems to be one big thing that pops up again and again and again like i want to start a plan but i've got a check with my wife i want to start a plan but my partner won't let me eat 150 grams of salmon and 26 grams of sweet potato it it's there's a there's a big do you know what i mean there's a big divide yeah, yeah, yeah. and it it's funny because it's just even in today's society it's so prevalent I give a client a plan, they come back to me, my partner keeps telling me off for weighing my rice and stuff. It be, but again, it's just that lack of understanding, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is, mate. I think it's a huge lack of understanding. And, I, and I, I, I ask these questions to people in my life, like, 
it, life is about trying to be 100% fulfilled. Sometimes we can't always do that. But I think if, if you get so much of this, um, maybe not with your mum and dad, you can't change your mum and dad, you can't change your family. But I think moving forward in your life, you can change who you date. You can change who you marry or get with. You can change your friends group if you're not supported. So I think for me, it's a question of analyzing up who you have right in front of you and whether they support you or not. And maybe they're just not the right people for you. And that's maybe a life question rather than a, a gym I'm going to prep question. But like if those people don't support you and they're constantly putting you down and they're telling you off for doing something that you're passionate about and that you really want to do and you've got this fire in your belly to do, then maybe there comes a point where, you know what? I might love this person. I might like this person a lot, but that I'm not digging that and I can't keep doing that. And so I'm going to move away from it because that, that doesn't work for me, you know? Um, but I think a lot of people don't do that because of all the other things that they do have with that person and the comfort that they have. And so they, they neglect that one thing like prepping or like doing a competition. And I think, that's, I think that's what happens. I'd be interested to get your take. Cause I, I'm a great believer in my opinion, a lot of it comes down to jealousy. So just on a final note, it'd be, it'd be interesting to just get your take quickly before we kind of just finish up. See, I'm a great believer that someone who is following a very detailed plan, I'm going to take a typical office worker who signs up to RP coaching or signs up to an online coach or a trainer. They get given a really detailed meal plan. They've prepped their meals. They've trained in the morning. They go into the office and they get ridiculed by Jeff and Barbara for eating stupid meals in a tub. I'm a great believer that a lot of that comes from jealousy that to make themselves feel better, they have to shoot down someone who genuinely wants to do better and be better. I, I, I think I'm, I'm true and I, I've stood by that ever since I became uh, a coach. It'd be interesting to just quickly get your take on that. I absolutely 100% agree with you, mate. It's all about insecurities. And I think people will very quickly point the finger at someone else and point the banter at someone else when deep down, really, they want that too. But they know they can't do it because either they can't be bothered, they haven't got the right motivation, they haven't got the right mindset, or they just don't want to do it. But they, there's that jealousy, and you're absolutely right. I want what they've got. So in order to put them down so that they don't thrive and they don't make me feel worse about how I'm already feeling, I'm going to bring them down a peddler still or two. And that, that is so true, mate. I, I'm with you totally, 100%, 100%. And I, I'd even, and I get that at work. I'd, I'd even go as far as to say, that, I mean, sweeping bold statement, but it happens in relationships because, I, again, I genuinely believe that if your partner comes home and they're really, really trying, they've dropped two trouser sizes, they're feeling great, they want to wear a bikini, other person in that relationship feels threatened that they're going to lose their partner or they're going to their partner's going to swim off with someone else because they've got this brand new life and it's funny because i just genuinely see this happening in households where someone said i really want to start a new fitness plan because i want to get in a bikini to look good on holiday and their partners turned around and said you don't need to you look fine as it is we're not paying that money and again, I genuinely believe that it's a big jealousy thing because they're so, as you've said, insecure within themselves. Yeah. Rather than bringing their partner up and saying, 
absolutely i'll help you i'll get on the journey with you let's do it together there's that negative cut cutthroat attitude of no you're not doing it because i'm i'm fearful that you're going to leave me um again yeah 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 mate I, it, it, it happens for sure and i think i think it can also work in reverse so uh an experience that i've had i suppose is that not so much now but many years ago i i was in a relationship where i, I was actually trying to put on size and i didn't really want to shred down i wasn't cutting at all i wanted to be bigger and the overeating and the amount that i was eating although i was getting fatter I was getting bigger for sure, off season style. I was getting bigger, but I was also getting fatter and I was filling out of my face and I was losing my abdominals. And I, and I still had that same feeling from my partner at the time who was very conscious and very um, concerned that I was doing something better than her, even though it was the reverse, if that yeah. makes sense. So yeah. it was very strange. So for her, I don't think it would have been the, the, the thought of losing me because at the time I was unattractive to most females yeah. because i was i was oversized i was massive bro what are you um, about everyone wants the everyone wants the well, game yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean so i think it does yeah. work that way and, and it's such an interesting human human behavior that, that that's the way things are you know i totally agree with you though mate it is, it is yeah. a strange thing well i'm going to wrap it up um obviously yeah, we're going to call that episode one um obviously guys listening we're going to get aaron back for quite a lot more episodes i hope in the near future just because i feel even in this conversation we've had there are four five six points that we can really really dig deeper and kind of expose a few sure. truths um but aaron thank you so much for joining me today um and, and i look forward to welcoming you back very very soon thank you very much for having me mate i'll speak to you again soon no worries guys stay safe and i will catch you on the next episode